Hey Church of the Beloved, my name is Kevin Zoe and I'm the production manager here at COTV. I wanted to give a quick update on the status of our sermon podcast. As we move from the separate campuses model back to a single unified church, we will be discontinuing separate podcasts for downtown, South Loop, and Wicker Park. Starting in August, we will be retiring the South Loop and Wicker Park podcasts and we will rebrand the downtown podcast as the primary Church of the Beloved sermon podcast. Be sure to subscribe to keep up with our sermons each week. You can find the podcast on most podcast platforms, and there's also a link on our website at cotb.life messages. God bless and have a great week. My name is Abe. I am the pastor here, the interim senior pastor for Church of the Beloved, and I'm so glad that you all are here joining us today. I say this every week, but I will, it bears repeating for those of you who are new. If this is your first time joining us today, we'd love to get you connected. If it's online, you can text uh, COTB to 97000, or if you're here, in, or you can go onto our website too, cotb.life, tap the connect with us button there. If you're here in person, please just come to me, come to somebody who is wearing a blue lanyard, uh, find somebody who's behind a camera. We'd love to connect with you with our church community in general. Now, I'll say this. If I like to always start uh, service and a sermon with prayer. So would you please join with me as we come to God in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. You are an awesome God. You are a holy God. And you've given us this amazing opportunity to gather together as a family, to worship you, to draw nearer to you. And I pray that we will continue to be an encouragement and encouraged by one another as the body of Christ, as the beloved of God. May the words of my mouth be a conduit of your truth alone, God. May this time be a blessing to you and a blessing to each other. In the name of your Son, Christ, I pray. Amen. So... Today we get to start a new sermon series, and it's going to be focusing on the 12 minor prophets from the Bible. And these 12 are known simply as by some as the 12 or the 12 prophets or the minor prophets. Uh, and you may have heard this before, but I think it's important enough to say again, they're not called minor because they're unimportant. Uh, they're called minor simply because The writings of Hosea, of Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, the writings of uh, of, uh, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. You're going to learn all these names soon. They're just not as long as the other major prophets like Isaiah or Jeremiah. But the message that they share is absolutely just as significant. It's just shorter. They're so short, just as an aside, that in the Hebrew or Jewish Bible, they're combined into a single book called the Prophets, versus the 12 that we have in our Christian Bible today. Now, I was reading an interview uh, by a professor. Her name is Amanda Benkhusen. She's a professor at Calvin Seminary. And she said this about the 12 minor prophets. She said, in this world gone very wrong, The prophets persistently describe a God who longs for his people to return to him and receive mercy. And as I read that interview, it it pointed to me uh, a relevance of this section of the Old Testament that I thought it's worth taking a look at as a church. So what we're going to be doing uh, through this series is focusing on one prophet per week. We're going to start with Hosea, the first one there. 
I will tell you that I probably won't spend a lot of time diving into the historical details of each book every week unless it's significant and really viable and necessary to understand the context. But we have provided your small group leaders with more contextual information, which they can provide for you. You can use and reference for your small group discussions or maybe even your private devotions. And again, if you're not part of a small group already, please email uh, info, seotv.life, and we'll do our best to get you connected to one. And I want to mention, we did post a job offer, a hiring for a new small group coordinator. And I'll tell you, we had to do this because the need for small groups and small group leaders within our small church is absolutely growing. Uh, we have a potential candidate already. I'm really excited. And maybe next week during our congregational meeting, we'll have an announcement for you, I hope, um, if everything works out. But going back to uh, Amanda Bencusen, what, what she was saying is that these 12 constantly describe a God who calls his people back who calls his beloved to repent and to reconcile with him so that, that they can be redeemed once again. And throughout the 12 stories, we see how the chosen ones, the, the ones that were intended to be a holy nation, set apart to be a royal priesthood, how they were repeatedly rejecting the will and the ways of God, how they constantly sought out to look more like citizens of the world instead of citizens of, of heaven. And I'll tell you, it wasn't just an issue of individual choices or personal morality. It was a corporate, nationwide, pervasive lack of obedience when it came to issues of, of social justice, economic equity, and faithful obedience to Yahweh. In other words, the 12 describe a covenant relationship uh, like that of a bride or, uh, and a groom that was constantly being broken. And in these stories, the groom, who is God, kept coming back to his bride, who is Israel, and saying, please change, come back. And it's the story of that covenant relationship being ignored over and over again. The chosen ones, the Israelites, kept choosing greed, selfishness, pride over generosity and the love that God was calling them to. See, our God is a God whose very nature is not anger, right? Our God is a God of love. Our God is chesed. Now, I'll tell you, chesed is a Hebrew word. I mentioned this not because I wanted to sound all smart and holy. It's because this word chesed is actually used over and over again throughout the Old Testament about 250 times, including these 12. And chesed is, is, is hard to define with a single word, but it's not a hard concept to fully understand. See, Chesed is the, is the consistent, ever-faithful, relentless, constantly pursuing, unrestrained, scandalous love of our Heavenly Father. Chesed is not just a feeling, it's an action. It is the act of showing kindness that is above and beyond what is expect, expected. And this is what God feels towards the Israelites. And this is ultimately what our Father in Heaven feels for us his elect, his royal priesthood, his beloved. God has chesed for us. So that's the overarching message of the 12. That's the introduction to the 12 minor prophets. And the hope is throughout these 12 books, the, the common thread throughout each of these 
writings. Each of them have their own little bent, their own little focus. And what we're wanting to do is through this series, going to take a look at, you know, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, uh, or, sorry, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. And we're going to try to figure out and understand what they were telling the Israelites and ultimately what God is trying to show us today in our context. We're starting this week with Hosea. So what I want to do is I want to get to the awkward part first quickly. I don't think there are any uh, kids listening in, so we should be okay because of this awkward part. Actually, I honestly know, I know that we don't have any kids listening in, listening in because our beloved kids ministry has rebooted and is being led by our ama- amazing beloved kids director, Linda. And if you have kids and you want to join us in person again, we're doing that. The kids ministry is available once again. Uh, if you'd like to help, we desperately want people to help. We've already gotten two volunteers, so we're looking for more. Uh, but if you'd like to be a volunteer as part of our kids ministry, email linda at cotb.life or info, uh, and we'll get you connected to that ministry. But the kids are here, uh, I think. I don't hear them, but they're here, I think. But I want to get to the awkward part that I was mentioning, which is in Hosea chapter 1, which is this. Yeah, Hosea was commanded by God to marry a woman of whoredom, which is commonly understood to be a prostitute. Verse 2, it says this, When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Now, some folks have tried to soften this language. Um, You know, maybe they they think that the a woman that Hosea married became promiscuous after marriage, or, or maybe she fell in love with another person, and Hosea was just trying to explain that whole situation with, when he decided to marry Gomer. That's not it. See, God is saying very directly here, Hosea, this is what I want you to do. I want you to marry someone your mom would definitely not like. I want you to marry someone that your friends are going to find out about and they're going to want to do an intervention for you. I want you to marry someone that even your dad will turn to you and say, what? When Suzanne and I got engaged, um, one of the hardest things for us to deal with at the time was my family, my parents' reaction. See, my mom, she was adamant and she made it very, she vocalized it constantly that she believed that this was a wrong thing in the eyes of God because Suzette is not Korean. I'm Korean, by the way. You know, she was telling me, how could I dare consider marrying someone that was not of the same ethnic background? That's just wrong. It's evil. And then they found out she wasn't a Christian at the time, which all hell broke loose at that point. I'm not going to go into details of that journey. It was not good. We're in a much better place, all of us. But I can fully imagine Hosea going to his parents and saying, Mom, Dad, uh, God wants me to marry Gomer. Yeah, the the prostitute. I'm sure it wasn't going to be a good thing. I'm not going to jump to conclusions uh, as to why Gomer went down that path. You know, maybe she lost her husband when she was young, and this was the only way she was able to sustain herself. Maybe, Maybe she had been abused in the past, and this had led to her constantly putting herself in abusive situations. I don't know. But whatever the cause behind it was, Gomer likely didn't have a good reputation. And yeah, 
This is what God called Hosea to do. God said to him, I've called you, Hosea, not to go into the world to proclaim the truth of the gospel message with words alone. I want to share my message with your entire life. Your marriage is going to be a metaphor of the covenant relationship I have right now with Israel. And it sucks. It sucks. Israel has, my bride is acting like a whore by forgetting about the covenant that the country had made with me and by loving everything and anything but me. And, and then you have his kids. Right? Names, they typically have a lot of meaning and significance. Parents usually take a lot of time, I hope Gabor, you guys are doing too, thinking of names for your kids because you want to make sure you're not naming your kids something that really means in old English devil or something like that. Or, and you, don't, you want to think about how the other kids are going to react when your kid goes to school and they hear the name. You just don't want that bad, weird name. I'm not going to make any suggestions of what would be weird because you might have that name. But I'll tell you this, my name, my parents didn't give it that much thought. I am not named after Father Abraham, the patriarch of Israel, nor am I named after the 16th president of the U.S., See, my parents couldn't speak English, so they just named me after the hospital I was born in, which was Abraham Lincoln Memorial in Lincoln, Illinois. So thankfully, I wasn't born at like Lawndale or Mount Sinai, because that would have been just a really awkward name, especially back in the 70s and 80s. And can you imagine? Hey, Lawndale! It would be a weird, weird situation. But names had and still have significance. There's no misinterpreting the message that God, through Hosea, that he's sending here with the naming of these kids. In the first one, Jezreel, which, by the way, the scholars will say with 100% certainty that Hosea and Gomer, that's their kid. This name, Jezreel, it's not a good name. In verse 4, it says this, and the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while, while I punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. See, Jezreel was the name of a place. There was a bloody coup led by this person, Jehu, who later established himself as a king. If you want to, you read First and Second Kings, you can see how bloody it was. There's a story there of how Jehu carried a basket of beheaded heads and placed it at the entry of the city. Naming their first son Jezreel would be the equivalent, I think, of naming your first son Auschwitz. Or if you're of Chinese descent, Nanjing. Or if you're of native descent, Trail of Tears. It wasn't a good name. Naming the first son Jezreel was God's blatant message that the kings of Israel who have broken a covenant with him, who have committed whoredom against him, they're going to be destroyed. And then you've got the other two names. There are, there's an argument that uh, these aren't even his, his kids. Uh, see, with Jezreel, it's written that she bore him, uh, Hosea, a son. The next two, it says, though, is she bore a daughter and she bore a son. No his so people don't think they're his kids. But regardless, their names, not good names. In verse 6, it says this, And the Lord said to him, Call her name Lo Ruhama, or no mercy, for I will have no more, no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. The, the third, 
the son in verse 9 it says, and the Lord said to said, call his name Lo-Ami, or not my people. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. Not, not good names at all. They're pretty blatant metaphors. I, I was thinking about this. A metaphor is intended to take one thing and compare it to another thing to make that first thing more relatable, more understandable. But here, I don't know if these are even really metaphors. I want to use your daughter to, as a metaphor of how I will have no mercy, so call her no mercy. And your son, I'm going to make him a metaphor of how I will no longer consider Israel my people, so call him not my people. These are not good names, and I think they're pretty bad metaphors. They're pretty blatant. But regardless, the one good thing from them is this. There's no doubt or question about how God feels, where he stands. God's not happy. Because he had set aside Abraham's descendants. He led them through Jacob to a land where they were able to survive a massive drought. He led them to the front stoop of the promised land with Moses. He guided them into the promised land by the faithful leadership of Joshua and Caleb. And now, here they are, being stupid again. It's like an It's like an abusive relationship. The nation of Israel keeps promising to do better. And then she turns her back on God and starts cheating with other gods and other things, forgetting all the good, beautiful things that God had taught her about living with joy and contentment. And after a time, Israel is so, gets in so much trouble that she turns back to God. And God takes her back. And and, and through this, God's not happy. He promises to break the bow of Israel on the valley of Jezreel in verse 5. He promises to have no mercy on the house of Israel in verse 6. God says, I'm not your God. Chapters 1 to 3 of Hosea is the full story of Hosea and Gomer's life as a living example of God's mercy and his grace. The, the rest of the book is a collection of poems and writings that go deeper into the detail of how Israel breaks her covenant with God constantly and God's patience in that. And by the way, the very last verse of this uh, book is, or paragraph, it feels like a, like a footnote. It's kind of nice. Some scholars believe that this was something added on by the scribe or the person who was compiling all of Hosea's poems. Uh, like a punctuation is basically saying, you all better listen up. There's some good stuff in here. Pay attention. Now, Hosea is one of the more major of the minor prophets. It's, it's the longest one. It's still not very long. Um, and I would like to today, as we're looking at the entirety of this book, there are two lessons that I want to focus on. If you have time, I would encourage you to go ahead and read through the uh, entire book. It's not long, as I said. It's very interesting. A lot, of, a lot of good things are in there. But the first thing I want to really focus on today is this. Sometimes the truth of God can be more shocking than it is comforting. See, if you read through the Old Testament, there are stories in there like the story of God telling Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac, his only son. There's a story of the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18. He challenges King Ahab to a spiritual showdown on Mount Carmel. And it ultimately ends in the slaughter of 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah. 
You read through the Psalms, we see the disturbing cries to God for constant vengeance and retribution against God's enemies. There are stories in the Bible where sometimes it makes you pause. It, it makes you think, is this the loving God that has chesed for his beloved kids? And to be honest, it sometimes just feels awkward and wrong. I feel like if God had done any of these things in today's culture, in today's environment, he would have been canceled. But God's shocking truth is not a result of God being a vindictive or spiteful or cruel God. No, God's shocking nature, his connection to these difficult things is because of us. Please do not connect the God of love and compassion, the God of peace and mercy. Please do not connect this God, our God, who has chesed for us with the violence and the blood and, and, and the suffering and the evils of humanity by thinking it is part of God's nature. The connection to these things is because of his love for us, his chesed for us. See, our loving, our patient, our forgiving father he deals with our violence and pride and unfaithfulness. All the things that come from a sinful, rebellious nature, and he takes it upon himself. He takes these things and he puts it on himself for our sake. Our God, through his son, suffered these things so that we wouldn't have to. See, Hosea's life is a metaphor. It's a metaphor that is intended to show Israel that God is suffering. It's Gomer, the woman of whoredom that Hosea entered into a covenant relationship with, is Israel. Israel is just like her. And Israel forgot that they were in a covenant relationship with Yahweh, with God. They were ignoring their commitment. They were spitting upon it. They were trampling it underfoot. And through this metaphor, God is intending to make it painfully obvious that God is a God whose chesed will always accept his bride back with open arms, but they and we rebel, we run, we revile our heavenly groom. For those of you who are here with us or watching online or listening to the podcast, question, do you relate to Gomer? Are you forgetting the commitment, the covenant you made with God? See, for those of you who have made a public proclamation of faith, maybe it's through a, a baptism or, or a commitment ceremony, you probably have made covenant promises publicly, to, a promise to trust in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins and the fulfillment of God's promise in you, to you, even eternal life, a promise to forsake Satan and all his works and all his ways, and a promise to, with the power of the Holy Spirit, obey Jesus' teachings and to follow him as your Lord? Have you turned away from the promises you made to God? As the beloved of God, I will tell you this. The law does not save us. It does not save us from hell, but obedience to it will draw us closer to the one who does save us. So the question is, have you forgotten the promises you made to God to remember? There's only one God. Don't replace that God with an idol. Have you forgotten or do you remember that God's name is too beautiful to waste and that we're supposed to keep this day holy? Do you remember to, to honor your parents, to, to not murder, commit adultery, steal or lie, even in your thoughts? 
Do you remember to not covet? Because what is in your heart matters. Do you remember? Do you resonate with Gomer? The beauty of the Bible is that from Genesis to the Revelation, it all points to the ultimate Redeemer. See, Hosea's life of suffering, this is God showing Israel and showing us in real life a metaphor of God suffering for the sake of Israel. It it foreshadowed the suffering that Christ would take on, that Christ took on, not as a metaphor, but as reality. See, sometimes God's truth is more shocking than comforting. And one shocking truth is that suffering is a part of salvation. Bearing the pain is required to buy our purity, and the shocking truth is that Jesus, the Son of God, God, who is, who is fully God and yet fully man, he came because of his steadfast love for us, and he took that pain on for us. He suffered for us so that we wouldn't have to. And so that, just like God communicated to Hosea in chapter 2, verse 23, he said, I will have mercy on lo ruhama, no mercy, and I will say to lo ami, or not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. The second truth that I want to point out that really hit me as I was preparing for today is this. God's covenant with us, it's not one-sided. In chapter 3, verse 3, it says this. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days, and you shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. Here's the situation. Gomer had abandoned her children and left her husband. Now, I'll tell you, society did not make it easy for women at that time. So the only way for Gomer likely to survive was to probably continue her previous lifestyle, basically to prostitute herself again. And somehow she had gotten to a point where she was so in debt and so undesired that whoever she owed money to had the authority to sell her as a slave. And for Hosea's contemporaries hearing this, the imagery that came to their mind was probably a little bit different than what has come, would come to yours. Because often a slave being sold to cover a debt like this, they would have been placed on a raised platform, naked. Gomer would have been fully exposed so that everyone could see everything that they were paying for. Now, I'll be honest with you, this part of the whole story is distasteful, massively distasteful. And if it's triggering for some, I'm sorry about that. But this is the imagery that Hosea is painting as we come to chapter 3 of this book, of this story. Imagine this. Gomer, naked and ashamed, exposed and alone. And the bidding starts. Who's going to give me 10 shekels? Someone says, I'll give you 10. And Gomer thinks, wait, that voice sounds familiar. Who do 11? 11. Who give me 12? I'll, I'll do 12. And Gomer's, there's a voice again. She's thinking, it couldn't be, it couldn't be Hosea. But she's, and she's too ashamed to hold out hope. But maybe. And at the end, she hears the last bid, 30 shekels, half in silver, half in barley. And she looks up and realizes, it is, it's Hosea. He came back for her. In spite of everything, 
He came back for her. Hosea comes to Gomer and says to her, you shall not play the whore and belong to another vine or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. Commit to me as I commit to you. Have chesed for me as I have chesed for you. See, Jesus has done the same thing for you and for me. Except the final bid wasn't 30 pieces of silver. It was his life on the cross. God's covenant with us is not one-sided. The price of his life was paid so that I, we might be able to come back home into the loving arms of our God, our groom. And as I commit to God, he commits to comfort me, to care for me, to love me, and to protect me. Chapter 3, verse 5, it says this, Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God, and David their king, which refers to Jesus Christ. And they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. I'm going to ask the band to go ahead and make their way up. I want to end with this one idea, this truth. We are the children of Israel. We are the chosen ones. We are the elect. We are the beloved of God. And we're called to return to our Father. We are called to recognize that heaven is our homeland. And we should seek the Savior. Yeah, sometimes the truth of God can be more shocking than comforting. But one of these truths is this. His covenant with his beloved is not one side. It's, actually, it's not even one side. It's, it's more in our favor. Because God doesn't need us. God wants us. He picked us. He picked you. He picked me. And as his chosen, even though we revile him and run from him, he says, come back. Let's pray. Precious God, I don't know where some of the folks in this room or listening online are in their relationship and their covenant with you. But for those who are standing on that platform naked and ashamed, help us remember you've already purchased, purchased us through the sacrifice you made. And you're just saying, come home. And for those who are leaning into the loving arms of our God, our Father. Help us revel in this promise that you've made to say, you are my people. To say, I will have mercy. May you be forever glorified and honored by our devotion and our commitment to no longer run from you but to start running to you. In the name of your son, Christ, I pray. Amen.